0: To Interchange. Tonight, who owns the radio? It's our fun drive show, and as usual, we decided to offer some show highlights from the last several months. This is The Who with Eminence Front. It's a favorite of mine. The sun shines, and people forget. The spray flies as the speedboat glides, and people forget. Forget their hiding, the girls smile, and people forget. Also tonight, we're joined by Marissa Mormon in the studio to help us understand the way radio has shaped cultures and histories other than our own. Marissa is an associate professor in the History Department and Media School at Indiana University. Her research focuses on the intersection between politics and culture in colonial and independent Angola. She's interested in the ways that cultural practice is productive of politics and not just derivative of it. She's currently working on a book project entitled "Powerful Frequencies: Radio, State Power, and the Cold War in Angola, 1933 to 2002," which looks at the relationship between the technology of radio and the shifting politics of Southern Africa as anti-colonial movements established independent states in the context of a region newly charged. Newly charged, right? Sorry, thank you. Newly cho- Marissa <laughs> nodded at me. Yes, Doug. <clears throat> newly charged by Cold War politics. This book attends to state dynamics of, con- of consolidation through techno-political processes and the human interferences that jam those grand plans. Thanks for joining us for Fun Drive, Marissa. Brave soul.
1: My pleasure. Yeah.
0: Um, before we begin, I'll ask all of you listening right now to call us and pledge your support to Interchange and WFHB. We're about to give you multiple reasons to do so, but you already value the show. Put a dollar value on it and call us right now, 812-323-1200. You can also go to our secure page online, wfhb.org. Hit that donate button on the right side of the page. You can't miss it. Let us hear from you. Let us announce your name and proclaim our solidarity to each other. Now, we're going to turn to our first clip. We prepped you for it with the Who song. We used this for our show with Thomas Frank. Assistant producer Rob Schoon was the host for that show, which we called It Takes a Democrat. Frank was in town promoting his latest book, Listen Liberal. Well, liberal or not, let's take a listen.
2: You make arguments about these insular experts taking over the government under Democrats, uh, especially Barack Obama. Um, that was something I was originally kind of excited about with Barack Obama. Here's a guy who's an actual me too. No, I was I
3: was so excited when he became president. Yeah. Yeah, that's like he's he's my guy. I, he had been a professor at the University of Chicago. I had met him at a house party there in Hyde Park. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I was like, I was one of these guys that was like crazy enthusiastic about him. You know, this is finally one of my people is going to be president and he's going to, you know, he's going to bring in the smartest people and he's going to show you what, what, uh, what brains and learning can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the opposite. Of, we're looking at George Bush, you know, hacks and cronies, cronies and hacks. Right. You know, it's like the biggest, you know, botch of all time. Time. And yeah. here comes Barack Obama, this brilliant man with a, you know, incredible orator, this ability to explain complex ideas. Wow. Yes. So, I was, I was excited. But, but what's wrong with having a bunch of smart people running? Well, we learned, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you put them in there and, uh, and they, uh, they continued the policies of Bush in the most important question before the nation, which is what to do about Wall Street.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, they continued the policies of Bush basically without any change for the first couple of years. Um, the bailouts kept coming. They didn't fire any of the management of the Wall Street banks. They didn't break up any of the banks, by the way, which they richly deserved, you know mm-hmm. something like Citibank. They didn't put any of the banks out of business. By the way, we put banks out of business in America every day. It happens all the time, especially in smaller towns, smaller cities. But um, the big investment banks, No no way was he gonna do that and he didn't uh, fire the management by the way which he's entitled to do as the you know he has all the seats on the board because of the bailout uh, uh, when Roosevelt was in a similar situation yes they would routinely fire the management of the banks that they bailed out constantly they always did this because they've been committing fraud he, Obama didn't prosecute these guys by the way they prosecute little people all the time for lying on mortgage applications they're probably right. still doing it um, the FBI is like hunting these people down uh, but they never touched these guys who packaged that, who knew, knowingly packaged that stuff up, up and sold it off to retirees in Germany or wherever, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> these, these incredible frauds uh, that went on on Wall Street and nobody ever paid for that. And that is, that was mind blowing that Obama screwed that up. And by the way, if you ask me, that's the issue that, that is the issue that is more important than any other issue. Had Obama acted uh, in a, you know, a resolute... Um, had he gotten tough with Wall Street, I don't think you would have seen 2010, the Tea Party disaster mm-hmm. year. I don't think you would have seen Trumpism. Occupy, I, too. Trust. Well, Occupy, right. Uh, none of this would have happened. Uh, I think that he would have turned the situation around, the economic situation around very quickly. Uh, you know, look, inequality is worse now than when Obama started. And a, that, a lot of that is because the Wall Street, because of the financialization of the economy. These people take everything. They take everything. We don't make things in America anymore. It all goes to Wall Street. Obama had it within his power to change that. The country expected him to change that, and he didn't do it. Mm-hmm. And that failure, I think, is going to haunt the Democratic Party for a very long time.
2: So I saw on Frontline uh, basically a recap of the Obama administration recently. The episode where he calls in all the Wall Street you know, leaders to the White House – uh, that was a critical like, moment. Oh, they're in trouble. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then they all they all come out, and the catchphrase is, "We're all in this together."
3: Yeah, nothing changed. That's one of the, one of them that's said a different
2: that, kind of solidarity. Yeah, right?
3: that's right. Obama and the, the Treasury Department and the banks—they're all in this together. Yeah, yeah. We're going to foam the runway for the banks, is what Tim Tim Geithner said. Foam the runway for the banks. The, uh, yeah, nothing changed. One of the bankers said after that meeting, "Hey, this is great. Nothing changed."
0: That was Rob Schoon interviewing Thomas Frank about his book, Listen Liberal, here on Interchange. Uh, This is our special fun drive show, and we're going to turn to another clip right now, Uh, this one with Nancy McLean, uh, who is very sure that the left has not quite taken the full measure of Charles Koch, who, by the way, is said to have studied the organizing strategies of Lenin.
5: And and here's where I also differ. I think from many um, liberal and left critics of the Koch monies, I actually think Charles Koch is a very brilliant man, and mm-hmm. I think the left has grossly underestimated his it- in- intelligence and his strategic um, ability. You know, mm-hmm. this man, yes, he inherited a family business, but he multiplied it at least a thousand times over, possibly as much as five thousand times mm-hmm. over. So he's a very and he's got three engineering degrees from MIT always playing the long game, etc. So he's a very smart man. And again, what he came to understand is that libertarians would never get out of their little self-reinforcing ghetto and that they needed to somehow harness larger numbers to give the appearance of popularity to what they were doing to the country. And the way that Koch and his advisors found to do that was to appeal to these wider forces, mm-hmm. like the religious right, like the NRA and the gun lobby, um, uh, you know, and, and other other such groups. And basically, you know, each of these groups gets something in this scheme that it wants, or I should say its leaders get something that mm-hmm. they want. Um, but those leaders turn out the voters to the polls. Right. And again, what is just so... Um, <sighs> infuriating, as you could hear in my sigh, I guess, to me about this cause, is the way the leaders aren't telling the grassroots the truth. Right. So a case in point, um, two of our best, you know, the best social scientists in the country, Stata Scotch, polled at at, um, Harvard, and one of her students, Vanessa Williams, did a fantastic book about the Tea Party, where they just went on a kind of a listening tour, right? And Mm -hmm. they wanted to understand what was going on. So they went out to Tea Party groups around the country and, you know, all kinds of different localities. They attended meetings. They talked to people. They interviewed them. They could not find a single... Grassroots Tea Party member who wanted to see the privatization of Social Security and Medicare. Mm-hmm. You know, and by privatization, people need to remember: you take those funds away from the government, you give them to the financial sector, mm-hmm. and we've all seen how responsible the financial sector right, is. Right. No grassroots Tea Party person wanted that, and yet Charles Koch and what the Scotch Poll and, and Williams call these roving billionaires who attached themselves to this cause, who made this the energy at the grassroots a delivery vehicle for their own agenda, are using that grassroots energy of the Tea Party groups as a battering ram to get what they have long wanted, which is Social Security privatization and Medicare privatization. So, you know, I just honestly, as somebody who studies, again, social movements, the idea that self-appointed leaders of a cause would be using the grassroots members to do something that they they don't want, you know, mm-hmm. um, it, it's just, it, I've never seen anything like it before. And I, I frankly, I don't think we've seen anything in world politics history of the audacity of our right-wing billionaires at this point. And the reason that is happening ultimately is that we have allowed inequality to develop to a degree in our society that most people cannot even process. It is so great. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't even have a sense of how bad it is. But the fact that somebody like Charles Koch has, you know, five or six billion Mm dollars, so that tens of million dollars of, you know, investment in various groups is pocket change to him. You know, that that they they can use that... To push this agenda, which is antithetical to the wishes not only of Democrats but of Republicans too, that tells us that we've come to some kind of a pass in our society where we need to listen up and pay attention.
0: Again, that was Nancy McLean. She's the author of the, um, well, she's an award winning scholar and the author of Democracy in Chains. The Deep History of the Radical Rights Stealth Plan for America. That was described by Publishers Weekly as a thoroughly researched and gripping narrative, a feat of American intellectual and political history. It's gotten into a little hot water, too. It criticized... James Buchanan, who was an economist, uh, Nobel laureate economist, uh, who is widely praised and loved by libertarians across the world and public choice economists. And uh, many, many people sort of took out after Nancy McLean for disparaging much of of what what Jim Buchanan might have been about. So uh, that's been interesting to follow as well. Uh, It's about 5.42 now. We're going to take a little bit of a a pledge break for, before we go into an actual break, some, some music. So right now in the studio with me, Marissa Mormon. as I said, she's going to come back in after the break. And I've got in the engineering booth uh, Bryce Martin, who's our studio engineer, and Jennifer Brooks, a former studio engineer, and Rob Schoon, assistant producer. So it takes a village, right? Uh, the, the thing about uh, local community radio is that it's participatory. How about in the studio there, Jen or Rob, do you have a sense for what, how you value community radio?
6: Well, I definitely do. Hi, Doug. Hi, Jen. Um, Hi, Doug. Hi, Rob. (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) you know, just listening to the clips from the prior that you just played, you know, we had guests, Thomas Frank, journalist and author, and then also... um, Professor of History and Public Policy at Duke University, Nancy McLean. So, you know, what were they talking about? They were talking about the causes and consequences of inequality in this country, um, which, you know, can get in kind of cerebral in a conversation, but is a real life issue affecting, you know, you, me, our neighbors, our friends. Um, Interchange, I know, did a four-part series on neoliberalism. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is not sort of just academic. These are This is a forum for the community to come together to talk about uh, matters of real significance and consequence. And it's important that we understand and be able to frame sort of the problems that vex us all. Um, I do want to give one or two call outs before we get too much further for people who've already called in. Tammy Scribner uh, enjoys listening to Interchange on her phone in Phoenix, Arizona, which is great. Uh, thank you very much for your support, Tammy. Also, Doug Harvey, uh, who is a pal uh, of Doug, uh, but uses <laughs> uses Interchange as extra credit for for his course for students, I didn't students. even
0: twist his arm for that. He did that all on his own.
6: That's wonderful. Thanks, Doug. Thank mm-hmm. you, Doug. Mm-hmm. So I want to remind listeners out there: the number to call is eight one two three two three twelve hundred. You can also go online and pledge securely and uh, at at wfhb org. And the number again to call is eight one two. Three two three twelve hundred, and then just circling back to you, Doug. Um, you know that what I was describing there—that sort of ability to talk with people in my community, experts from various fields—to really try and get straight about uh, the problems that face us. Not that we only talk about problems here on Interchange, but uh, it's the reality of the times that many of us are feeling insecure and concerned and community radio and specifically the public affairs program really gives a venue for the community to sign a, kind of you know flesh out some of these these issues that
0: is a good way to think about it it's one of the things that i i value most about the station as well uh, multiple voices giving me a sense that one that everything isn't wrong but but also that there are people that are actively working to make it better uh, that 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 's what we do here at the station as well, uh, Jennifer Brooks again in our uh, engineering studio, and we 're going to take a break right now with uh, a song called "High Cotton." by Alabama, we used this song for the We the Shackled program uh, with Nancy McLean. as it seems to me Alabama's music embodies the mythologies of the glorious white South and the valorization of the hardworking individual in opposition to government and a handout. And I think this song would have worked well for our Melinda Cooper show, too, on family values. Uh, Here we go. Hi, Cotton.
2: We didn't know the times were lean Round our house the grass was green It didn't seem like things were all that bad I bet we walked a thousand miles Chopping cotton and pushing plows And learning how to give it all we had As life went on and years went by I saw the light in daddy's eyes And felt the love in mama's hands they kept us warm and kept us fed Taught us how to look
4: and and Support for WFHB comes from Limestone, Post, an online culture and lifestyle Magazine for Bloomington and beyond Explore articles, photo essays and videos on the arts, outdoors, local history Community events and all the topics that make Bloomington such a great place to live Limestone Post, writers with a voice, photographers with a vision Online at limestonepostmagazine.com And support for Interchange comes from listeners like you and Smithville Fiber, a local provider of internet, voice, and TV service, now also offering home automation and security systems for homes and offices throughout South Central Indiana. More information on Smithville's home automation service is available at smithvillesecurity.com. My support energy comes from the Uptown Cafe, a Bloomington landmark since 1976. Serving Cajun Creole and home cooking specials every Tuesday and Wednesday evening. Featuring a full bar serving fresh handcrafted cocktails. The Uptown Cafe is located in downtown Bloomington. And more information is available online at the hyphen uptowncafe.com. We
7: were walking in. hardest thing we ever faced
4: we were walking in
2: high cotton old times there are not
7: forgotten those fertile fields are
0: Welcome back to Interchange on WFHB. It's our fun drive show. Uh, So before I go any further, I'm going to give you a phone number to call, 812-323-1200. Again, 812-323-1200 to pledge your support to Interchange. Today's show is a, a highlight show, but we're also joined in the studio today Uh, with, uh, excuse me, by Marissa Moorman, an associate professor in the History Department and Media School at Indiana University. Her research focuses on the intersection between politics and culture in colonial and independent Angola. She's interested in the ways that cultural practice is productive of politics and not just derivative of it. Uh so tell us a little bit about your research, uh Marissa, how the radio was used as a kind of uh in a kind of guerrilla fashion in Angola uh, and maybe the years that you're studying on them.
1: Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me here. It's mm-hmm. a great treat Thanks. to be able to talk about radio Thank on the radio. So I study, I'm doing a book right now on the history of radio and state power uh, between the 1930s and the early 2000s in Angola. That's the sort of broad uh, time period I'm looking at. But it really is used in a a guerrilla form in the 1960s and Mm. 1970s as Angolan nationalists take up radio as part of their struggle against the colonial, the Portuguese colonial state mm -hmm. in Angola. In the late 1950s, we see people starting to organize against the colonial, the Portuguese colonial state. The Portuguese colonial state is not at all interested in contemplating independence mm. in any shape or form. Even
0: though it's this tiny little kind of a backwater country, right? Right, yeah, exactly. And
1: yeah. Angola, which was one of several um, Portuguese colonies, was 16 times the size yeah, of, yeah. Of, of Portugal. Mm. Other countries on the African continent were winning their independence by the 1960s. 1960 is sort of the banner year Mm -hmm. for independence on the African continent. And Angola's neighbors, uh, both of the Congos, the Republic of the Congo and what is today the Democratic Republic of the Congo, both became independent in Mm. 1960. So there are a number of uprisings in Angola in 1961 the Portuguese state reacts with tremendous violence, brutal violence, decapitating people, putting their heads on stakes to terrorize people, and demonstrating that they're not at all interested in negotiating any kind of political sovereignty or even any kind of political reforms. These, These then sort of small nationalist groups decide to take up arms and to move into exile in these in newly independent neighboring countries, mm-hmm. both of those countries, um, the Republic of the Congo and the Democratic Republic of the Congo, had broadcasters. And in fact, um, the Republic of the Congo, with which is, with its capital in Brazzaville, had the strongest uh, transmitter on the entire continent because Charles de Gaulle had placed his his second uh, Free Fran- French Republic there during World War II, mm-hmm. and so okay. Brazzaville had a tremendously strong um, transmitter the, and broadcast could be heard across the continent. So one of the two nationalist movements based itself there, and they began to broadcast into Angola. At that point, the Portuguese state had a broadcasting system, but it was fairly weak, and most of the broadcasting that was happening in Angola had been the result of Portuguese settlers who had organized there and who had started sort of amateur broadcasting, hobby broadcasting, in what were membership-based radio clubs that existed okay. throughout
0: Angola. Get a, give me a sense of what kind of things that I mean. What does a radio club do?
1: So, radio clubs were were essentially sort of um, community-based in that they were local membership-based, but in this case, that was it was really. Uh, predominantly run by white settlers, predominantly, you know, kind of white men. And they were interested in local football matches. They put on radio theater. Mm. They would record and perform a lot of live shows, so music and things like that. But some of them were interested in, in local folklore, there was some to some degree they focused on on Af- things African, but they were predominantly focused on Portuguese life in the colonies. Hmm. They looked at sports, they would focus on um, you know comedy routines, they would write their own shows mm-hmm. and it was a very dynamic actually part of Portuguese life in the colonies
0: okay interesting
1: um, and much more active than the than the official colonial broadcaster hmm. much more much more interesting much more dynamic so
0: there's a state broadcaster basically a Portuguese official broadcaster and then radio clubs to do fun things. The radio <laughs> clubs did the fun stuff. <laughs> right. That's right. right.
1: Um, and the state broadcaster was boring and that was
0: ah, exactly
1: sure. its reputation was that okay. it, it sounded like a state.
0: Sure. And
1: nobody really listened to it.
0: Gotcha.
1: Um, and the clubs did the interesting stuff. Gotcha. There were not very many African voices on the radio at that time. Mm-hmm. So when these national liberation movements moved into exile and started broadcasting they had a profound effect, because lots of people listened to the radio, mm-hmm. and people began, listen, began to listen to them in secret. So people mm-hmm. would tell me, you know, people who I spoke to who listened to radio in this period, told me stories about listening to transistor radios hiding under their beds, or driving their cars into dark soccer, uh, soccer fields and turning mm-hmm. off all the lights and turning the transistor on so that they could listen to what were essentially bland, banned or clandestine radios, um, and what the secret police regarded as um, enemy. Broadcasters,
0: hmm.
1: um, and then they would tell their friends about them. They would tell them what they heard.
0: So, technologically, these were just broadcast over particular channels. Uh, so they were sort of piggybacking off of that tower. Is that right? Right. They mm-hmm.
1: would be broadcast in this case from the from the national broadcaster in a neighboring state, mm-hmm. um, and then often they would have to change the frequency they were broadcasting on mm-hmm. because the colonial state started to jam them. Okay.
0: Okay, so uh, definitely, um, and were they doing things at that time as part of the liberation movement? Like that's generally what, what they were doing, talking about how to, how to what, uh, gather, how to, so what the kind of propaganda, I suppose? The guerrilla yeah.
1: broadcasters mm-hmm. did a number of things. They would Because they were engaged in a military battle with the Portuguese, they mm-hmm. would report on military struggles. Sure. And they would engage in, you know, they would talk about propaganda. And in fact, one of the early broadcasters said to me, he said, oh, I learned how to write propaganda for the radio in Algeria. Mm. Um, He said, I learned how to kill people with a pencil. I said, (laughs) what do you mean? (laughs) He said, oh, no, I learned that when, you know, when you're writing propaganda, you don't you never say that you killed an even number of people. Ah. So what was four would would become seven, Mm. things like that. So they they would change. You know, they would talk about military battles and they would rewrite the news because, of course, they were the news that was broadcast from the official broadcaster in Angola was very censored. And they would only talk about certain things. And there was no discussion of the national liberation movements. Mm -hmm. There was discussion. They were referred to as terrorists and enemies. um, And military battles were always depicted um, in a way that served the
0: Portuguese. Sure.
1: So they were were, um, broadcasting a kind of propaganda that served their own purposes.
0: Were there newspapers at the time?
1: There were newspapers but they were also highly censored mm-hmm. everything yeah. had to go through the state
0: an easier way to be um secret the radio than trying to do some some underground press
1: absolutely yeah, yeah. so they could um so they could broadcast they would broadcast about military engagements they would also educate people about colonial history mm. right mm. they would try to persuade the portuguese soldiers and africans who fought for the portuguese army to desert okay and and explain to them that they were fighting essentially against their own interests. That the Portuguese state represented big capital. That it wasn't interested in the common person, and that they should abandon. And that they should, if they came over to the other side, mm. they would be welcomed. They would be supported. They would be helped, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And they would encourage people to join the struggle. They would also send secret messages, sometimes in order to just destabilize because they knew the secret police and the military were listening in order to to mess with them they would say you know 10 sheep have arrived so and so so and so t- 10 sheep have arrived and that would mean you know 10 people have escaped right and, and have come and join our forces mm-hmm. or so and so in matadi um just to let you know your goat has arrived <laughs> so that people would know anou- would know that somebody who had left the country had arrived safely mm, okay in, in the place that they were. That's pretty off
0: fascinating. To. Well, uh, so were they able? I mean, I, I don't know much about the struggle, obviously. It was this kind of action. Uh, fruitful, useful. Did it? Did it lead to a particular? I mean, was it how they banded together in some sense? Or I don't know. Cuba is involved in here somewhere. Also, was, this is about my, the extent of my knowledge. Right. right.
1: Cuba yeah. gets involved later. Yeah. yeah. And a little bit less in the radio. Mm-hmm. It's. It was useful to the extent that people listened, and people's memories suggest that um, th- that they found some sort of community in listening, mm, okay. and that they would get together and talk about it. But the other way in which it was useful is that it from what I can tell from, from the archives and the only archive that exists are the secret police and military archives okay. that it made the Portuguese state extraordinarily nervous oh, it drove okay. them bananas because as far as they could tell everybody was listening
0: oh, interesting! even
1: though it was illegal and white settlers were listening oh. and good middle class African civil servants were listening so everybody was tuning in even though they weren't supposed
0: to be wow that's pretty fascinating we'll have to continue to talk about that uh, we don't need clips for this show do we <laughs> that was Marissa Mormond uh, talking a little bit about uh, Angola and the use of radio, contraband radio, I, I guess, uh, secret radio. Uh, we're going to have to take a break right now, and uh, what we're going to do, I think, is listen to Talking on american Blues by Betty Sanders. This is a song we played off of the Bluff of the Century. It was a show about Nixon and Alger Hiss and the Cold War. And we may listen to that clip when we come back. I'm not entirely sure. But this is Interchange on WFHB. (laughs) ¶¶
7: One morning, got an invitation to help Congress out in an investigation. Man came around and knocking at the door, gave me a paper that said, what for subpoena? Looking for un-Americans, look in the mirror. Now, if you want an invite, here's what to do. You got to talk for peace. Sing it, too. Visit your neighbors, hear what they say. Before you know it, you're on your way, fair paid. Ride and style. First and
4: this class. is Interchange on listener-supported WFHB, when Bloomington, you Bedford, Ellettsville, Nashville, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. And you can Dick's always go online at wfhb.org. Take a very quick green. look he at the weather. It's high of 71 t- today, the 50% chance of thunderstorms. Tonight, looks like there are showers likely at 70%, a low of 58 degrees. On Wednesday, a slight chance of showers at 20% and a high of 65 degrees. Wednesday night, cloudy and a low of 56. And then it looks like it'll clear up a little bit, mostly cloudy, but a high of uh, 66 on Thursday. Partly cloudy Thursday night and a low of 54. Did you ever hold an executive position? And Did support for Interchange comes from listeners, listeners like and you and Smithville Fiber, a local provider of internet voice and TV service, now also offering home automation and security systems man. for homes and offices throughout South Central Indiana. More information on Smithville's home automation service is available at smithvillesecurity.com. And thanks to our donors and our fund drives of sponsors, Lauren Woodbuilders and Michael's Uptown Cafe and for Rush Hour Station for lunch here the
7: station. You don't have to answer that question if you think it might tend to incriminate you. Now, Mr. Wood, get out of your rut. Do you swear to tell the truth and nothing but? Well, Wood said he would, but we knew he wouldn't. And even if he would, well, he damn well couldn't. But that's Congress for you. Week in, week out. We all over now would he couldn't rest on his laurels he tried his best to corrupt our morals he talked about filbrick Budens too they're getting theirs how about you now i like chicken i like duck and i don't object welcome to
0: back to buck, interchange i'm doug storm it's our short-term. fun drive special who owns the radio we're listening to highlights from the last several months and we've got Marissa Morman in the studio with us sharing insights on the use of radio during liberation struggles in Angola and uh, I know that sounds good and you're ready to get to it but first we're going we're going to have you take your phone out of your pocket wherever that device is I know it's not far from you and dial 812 812- 323-1200 3, 3, to make a pledge of support to Interchange and WFHB. I'm going to kick it over to Jen Brooks in the studio right now. Jen, how's it going over there?
6: Really good, Doug. Good. Uh, especially good because I have a couple of thank yous awesome. to call out. Uh, big thanks to Cynthia Brighttime for her pledge of support during Interchange. And also to Michael Siegel who loves Interchange and also says hi, Doug. Hello. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, we're doing good here. I want to remind listeners the number to call is 812-323-1200. It goes without saying that uh, your financial support right now is the difference between uh, WFHB continuing to operate uh, at a sustainable in a sustainable way and not. So um, your help is very much appreciated. It's consequential. And uh, I urge you to get to the phone right now, 812-323-1200. Um, Doug, I was <clears throat> listening to your earlier conversation with um, guest Marissa Mormon and was really taken aback by um, her story and her contextualization of radio in a as almost a tool, not almost, a tool of ins- insurrection and struggle against colonial powers. And, uh, you know, I know WFHB can't quite uh, <laughs> aspire to such lofty heights right well, we now. We don't
0: want to tell anyone we're insurrectionary,
6: <laughs> But it does underscore the, the power the power of connecting uh, people. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's one of the ways that I became a really ardent uh, fan of radio is I I started listening more and more and I remember a moment where I was captivated. I don't remember what what I was listening to in that moment and it occurred to me that there were other people who perhaps had stopped in their tracks in their kitchen or their garage or their living room and were captivated by the same thing and that Mm -hmm. connectivity um, added a lot of uh, sort of enjoyment to the experience and it's it underscores the power to me. So I'm really appreciative of that element. I want to remind callers that we're waiting for you and we can't wait to talk to you. So please call us at 812-323-1200.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, that's a great thing to say, Jen. It's one of the things that's fascinating about radio. It's that someone's talking into your head, Right talking into your ears, like you hear them internally. It's like they're talking right to you, but also almost like you're hearing yourself in a strange way. It's a, such a strange medium, right? Yeah.
6: Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it does. It reflects back to us, it connects us. There is a an intimacy to radio Definitely. and I think that kind of gets back to that idea that you're, you're getting at, Doug, where it's not just that you're listening, but having elements of yourself reflected back. Mm. Um, So in that spirit, since I am a supporter of community radio and Doug is a supporter of community radio, and by that we mean that we pledge money and give support because we believe in the cause, um, I'd like to see that reflected back right now from you, the listener. So please do call 812-323-1200. You can also go online at wfhb.org.
0: A good way to do it is uh, monthly. You can do it out of your bank account or do it out of your credit card. We need to head back into programming. I think we will do the clip that I had talked about before, and I'm going to do it because uh, a listener and supporter, Joan Hawkins, uh, uh, told me, stopped me on the street one day. This is the nice thing about local radio, too, being in a community. Stopped me and said she had to pull her car over while she was listening because she was laughing. Uh, about a particular thing. I don't think this segment that I pulled out is laugh is, is a funny one, but maybe maybe it, maybe it makes Joan laugh. I'm not sure. But uh, this one is from The Bluff of the Century, Nixon, Alger Hiss, and the Cold War, uh, with guest Joan Brady. She's the author of the book, Alger Hiss, Framed, a new look at the case that made Nixon famous. Brady met Hiss and was a casual acquaintance from 1960 on, and her book hinges on the two hours of off-the-record testimony given by Whitaker Chambers, to HUAC, the House on american Activities Committee, and orchestrated by Nixon on August 7th, 1948. So let's listen to that now. Yeah, it's an interesting point, too, that the, you know, the, uh, I think it's Hiss himself who says, you know, the law isn't about justice, it's about the law. But in this sense, too, it's about theater. You know, it is also oh, yes. about the performance within, not only within the chambers where, between lawyers, but in the public uh, imagination as well.
8: Well, I think the difference really is that he was the kind of lawyer who spoke to gentlemen in comfortable rooms Mm. about terms of treaties and things. Right, right, right. And he had never even seen a jury before he was tried. Uh, I mean, and he he had no idea, as he said to me at, at one point, that... What he hadn't realized that it was a gladiatorial contest between the two lawyers, and nobody else really mattered. No, yeah. A tennis match, I guess.
0: Yeah, that's that's a hard thing to swallow too, if you know anything if you follow anything about uh, jurisprudence or uh, criminal trials in particular, but uh, civil ones are also. Obviously, you have lawyers, and the lawyers are the only ones that get to speak, and they get to They're tell you when to, speak, to speak, speak, how to speak.
8: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And a corporate lawyer can't handle a criminal case. Right. I don't think. I think his second, the lawyer he had for the second trial had never seen a jury either. <laughs> I mean, it's just, how can you be so, he, he, he seemed, it's as though he had a blind spot. He could not believe that people were not basically good at heart. Yeah, yeah. And that they would believe this strange Chambers who, I mean, he would change his story within the same sentence.
0: Yeah, it's a good story. Like, it didn't matter what the story was, he told it well. Yeah.
8: Yeah. yeah he, oh, he.
0: With if, conviction. If he, if he
8: ever, well, if you ever hear, it, you can still hear him online, and it's a wonderful voice. It really is. It's a, it's a voice any actor would kill for. The story is
2: spread in testifying against Mr. Hiss I'm working out some old grudge for motive, revenge,
3: or hatred. I don't hate Mr. Hiss We were close friends but we are caught
2: in the tragedy of history
8: he did it so well yeah and he just yeah. spoke so well he put everybody else in the shade
0: again that was joan brady she is the author of alger hiss framed a new look at the case uh, that made nixon famous that was whitaker chambers at the end uh this one of the stories that is exciting or what what you get to do here at this station and what we do on interchange and why I like to do interchange is you get to learn things. You know, for me, uh, it's amazing how much you don't know in this life. And I guess at some point you should probably realize it and, you know, confess to yourself that you need to learn some new things. Uh, This was one that was fascinating to me. Uh, Whitaker Chambers testifying and literally, at least as far as I can tell, lying about everything. And everyone taking him seriously, and it was just a shocking thing for me to to realize how simple or how easy that was uh, to happen. Nixon, in particular, a master of press manipulation as well. Um, and so, in a sense, that's our kind of propaganda, also, right? So, de- you know, Nixon would decide to to leak information, and and I always thought of leaks as re- like actual information. The government would leak information, right? But they would lie. <laughs> And it's one of those things you're like, of course, of course. Like how, how do you not understand this? You know, how, when do you get to a point in your life where you go, hmm, they're always saying things that aren't true. (laughs) I have to, when, who do I trust? Marissa Mormon, who can I trust?
1: I don't know, Doug. Yeah, this is a fair question. You need to be though, right? a critical listener.
0: It's hard to be one, though, right? To be a critical listener, to be a critical reader. That's partly, again, why I think this is an interesting program to do. Uh, it forces me to try to look at multiple aspects of a particular topic. So I'm not you know, just over here doing one thing on one voice with one perspective. I know we get tarred with a particular ideology, like all things, but I like to think that I, I do see various sides. It's not always true. I you know, I have my way of thinking about things, right?
1: Sure. But there are lots of, you know, you keep reading, you keep asking questions. Keep doing and it. Keep listening.
0: Yeah. Keep doing it. Uh, um, real quick to, uh, as you, as we've been saying throughout, this is our, our fund drive show. Uh, it's a special show. We've had some uh, clips and Marissa Mormon has graciously agreed to join us here uh, on this fund drive show to talk about uh, radio use in Angola, uh, liberation struggles in Angola around the, I guess we've been talking about the 60s for the most part, that uh, that uh, struggle for independence from Portugal. And uh, Marissa, when you were talking about those things, I found it just shocking in a way that um, so I, you know you, I read Heart of Darkness when I was in high school, right, and Heart of Darkness sure. is this kind of thing right a colonial story, and I know there are lots of lots of ways to disparage that particular book too, as the voice of the colonial master also uh, and then reading achebe 's uh, things fall apart and so you understand these perspectives, but when you talk about a a particular um, a particularly egregious um, a, attempt to uh, terrorize a community like that, you know, to, as you say, put heads on, on poles, you know, on spears and poles and, and, and scare, scare people like that. It's not unusual through time for these things to happen. We have obviously terrorist tactics in this country as well. Um, but it was, it's kind of a hard thing to think about, right? It in, in the sixties, that's really not that long ago, right?
1: Not at all, and th- and the Portuguese were very invested in maintaining their empire, and they were in cahoots with the South Africans and and the white settlers in southern Rhodesia, and there was a great attempt to maintain hmm. white supremacy in southern Africa. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, that's what it was. It's a Confederate flag aspect here too, right? The terrorization exactly. that happens uh, in those ways. Um, it's just it's just frightening, really. Um, so let's. Um, when we get, let's take another break, actually, uh, and then when we come back, we'll, you know what, we're going to do before we do that, because I've, I'm out of order here. I'm going to ask Rob to help us out with another pitch before we go to a break. Rob is in the studio. Rob is our assistant producer. Uh, Rob, I don't remember you came on about six to eight months ago. Is that right? Uh, it's actually been a little bit more than a year. Oh my, uh, You know what? Time flies, right, buddy? It really does. It does, and when you're having fun and doing good shows together, right? Mm-hmm what uh, what's your favorite show rob do you have one
2: uh the favorite show of this year i think might have been uh nancy mclean actually
0: or the democracy and change show mm-hmm. yeah why did you like that one
2: uh well i don't know she was uh just really intelligent and yeah. very um yeah. it's such an interesting uh subject to mm-hmm. listen to but i do want to say that you know interchange covers more than just politics that's true. And, you know, we've been going pol- politics heavy uh, recently, and especially, uh, you know, this um, particular show, of course. Uh, but, you know, we also uh, have you interview people about history, literature, the arts, uh, business, society, culture. Uh, and it's that kind of variety that we do throughout the entire year that I think makes it interesting, too. And the way that you can kind of bring culture and literature into a discussion about politics. Hmm. Um, You know, and so from, you know, the alt-right to traditional Chinese folk culting, you know, we've covered so many different things as long as it's interesting and, you know, kind of affects our life uh, in some way or affects our community or, you know, the national community or the international community. Mm -hmm. Uh, We kind of have these these circles of interest and care that, that extend outwards, but they start in Bloomington. They start with uh, WFHB, which is community-powered, uh, volunteers on the board, volunteers on the air, uh, editing the shows, <laughs> um, picking and playing the music, you know, our DJs, and also volunteers who listen and support their community radio station by pledging and becoming sustaining members.
0: 812 323
2: right? Uh, yep, and you can also go to wfhb.org, click on the donate button. You donate $60 or more, you get our annual uh, Lotus Live. This is volume seven, uh, the album from the Lotus Festival. Or you could become a sustaining member for just $10 a month. Uh, And it's very easy to to sign up um, online or call us at 812 323.
0: It's a great way to do it. That's how I do it. It's uh, like we say, set it and forget it. Uh, I Mm -hmm. also want to thank really quickly John Vickers, who also uh, supports Interchange. Thank you, John Vickers. Um, uh, Thanks, Rob. Uh, It is good to remember that we don't just do politics here, although I would argue that we tend to do politics no matter what we do. Well, the politics um, so,
2: gets into everything.
0: Yeah, yeah. We and maybe that's how Marissa meant her sentence uh, at the beginning that I was interested in. Um, you know, uh, we I just did an interview that'll uh, it'll air on Thursday here about the Chekhov show, uh, Three Sisters that IU Theater is putting on. Uh, it's um it's a family drama, but it takes place just prior to the 1905 Revolution in Russia, just prior to Bloody Sunday. So there are all sorts of things like that happening within the context of what seems like a sort of a normal day at the ranch, uh, in this checkoff play, no such thing, right? In a checkoff play, but mm-hmm. um, but we do try to. I guess we sneak in politics as we can as well.
2: Well, right? and and you said context. Context yeah. is is a very is the key word because yeah. that's what interchange does. We have enough time to bring context around. You know, historical events or current events, uh, or even just philosophies, or you know what have you. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. We have enough time and and enough interest, and we really try to bring the best that we can every week to just contextualize what's
0: going on in in everybody's lives. 812-323-1200 to pledge. 812-323-1200 to support Interchange. Uh, You can also go online, wfhb.org, and hit the big red donate button. Let's take a quick break. Uh, uh, Bryce, we're going to do Play It Cool, Stay in School. This is by Brenda Holloway. (laughs)
4: Support for WFHB comes from Bloom Magazine. The October issue features Voices of Recovery, eight stories of life after addiction by citizens of Bloomington who are leading productive, successful lives. For more information, you can visit magplume.com. And support for WFHB comes from Juanita's Restaurant, located at 620 West Kirkwood. Juanita's Restaurant is a family-owned and operated business that brings Mexican cuisine to Bloomington, Indiana. Catering service is also available. And more... Information is available if you call 812-339-2340 or online at juanitas.com.
0: Welcome back to Interchange. I'm Doug Storm. This is our special Fun Drive show, 812-323-1200. Pick up your phone and dial that number, excuse me, 812-323-1200. Uh, you've heard a sampling of what we do here on Interchange tonight. We've been doing some highlight shows. That song, uh, Play It's Cool, Stay in School, we played during our show Pred Ed, which was about uh, for-profit colleges and universities, uh, but I think I think I'm going to skip that one actually, and uh, ask Marissa a question. Marissa Mormon is in our studio with us. Marissa Mormon is a an associate professor in the history department and media school at Indiana University. She has uh, been talking to us today about radio in Angola uh, in the '60s or around there. This is uh, liberation struggle Angola against. Uh, portugal as the colonial power and we've been talking about sort of the power of radio to influence people the power of this medium to keep people together to get people together and to be secretive um with it as well um and so i wrote a a cute little question here a video killed the radio i think it's cute so you can, you know, you're not supposed to say a joke's funny, and you're probably not supposed to say when something's cute either. But uh, if video killed the radio star, what's the smartphone done right? Uh, a radio tower might be controlled, and content might might serve an ideology. Uh, but we're really in an age of message control and surveillance here, like like none other. Is there such a thing as having? A way, I mean, I know we talk about the Arab Spring now as if the smartphone is, is the thing that brought the Arab Spring together. I, I don't really buy that myself. But um, is there a possibility that we've got, that we can make use of this kind of old technology in the, use, in the age of the smartphone? Or do we need to deal with the smartphone as the best possible communication tool? That's a lot of a question. Sorry.
1: Those are a lot of questions. That's true. I think we need to use all technologies. And I think that people who are really on the front lines of struggle are the ones who are showing showing us the way
0: mm.
1: actually so the arab spring was was one instance of that and golan's took up that same challenge mm. but we can also see that states can pull the plug on those things right. so a very small group of young angolan activists organized in the spring of 2011 shortly after the arab spring oh, okay. inspired by that li- themselves living under a very repressive dictatorship i was living in, Ang- in angola at the time and received a message on my cell phone mm. saying come to this mobilization then i received other ones saying don't show up it's a hoax oh my gosh and then all the internet was cut for two days oh so there are scary. ways in which That's
2: those scary, technologies right?
1: can also be limited yeah At the same time, I think people are doing incredible things. We see people innovating in new ways. Mm -hmm. And cell phones, for example, use radio waves. Uh Every cell phone, the most basic cell phone has radio, is a radio and has radios on it. So radios are now in the hands of far more people than they have ever been. Oh, fascinating. And people are innovating. We see some of the most innovative uses of cell phones occurring on the African continent and moving from the grassroots up. So Hmm. for example, uh, mobile, mobile tele or mobile money transfers mm-hmm. that were pioneered really in Kenya with M-Pesa, and that was really started by the ways in which people were using phones mm-hmm. to move money, and then it moved up to banks and credit unions.
0: Wow! Now you mentioned, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> sorry, you mentioned uh, or mentioned something in in the um, the text that we read her- here earlier about uh, jamming technologies. Now, is there is that's just a ridiculous way the state tries to stop, or is it is it ever effective?
1: It's ridiculous in the sense that it's not very efficient. My understanding is that it's not very efficient, it tends to be expensive Mm -hmm. and people always find a way to listen. If we look at Fanon's, writing Frantz Fanon's work, for example on Algeria, he's spoken in incredibly interesting ways about the way in which the liberation movement there used radio and how the French state jammed it and then how people listened in response. Oh. They kept, you know, trying to pass on the message. Mm-hmm. The The liberation movement would say, we're switching to this this frequency, we're switching to that frequency, and people would listen. They'd have to reconstruct the message. It makes people harder... makes people work harder to Mm -hmm. put the message together Mm -hmm. and therefore be more interested and to Mm -hmm. find more of a sense of a community in it and they're literally you know working turning themselves into radios then transmitting the sound transmitting bits and pieces of the message trying to reconstruct it and so i think there's that aspect of it as well in some ways jamming only makes people try harder yeah repression
0: tends to you people push back against it exactly it makes me it <clears throat> Excuse me again. Sorry, everybody. It seems to be the thing that bothers me a little bit about this particular culture is that while there is certainly repression in many ways, uh, it's, a, it's a culture that prides itself on not having repression, right, on allowing so many things to happen, allowing people to speak. Now, we're in a different administrative space right now, it seems like, with our current... Um, president and various uh, cabinet members and and Congress and whatnot. It seems more plausibly repressive, uh, and in some ways you can almost wish for it to be repressive, just so we have a, a wake up call to, to people instead of having a, what seems like people saying, "Well, I can say whatever I want." Still, you know, I can do it. No one's you know knocking down my door when I speak against. But I, you know, maybe. Maybe in some communities you you are getting in trouble for saying things, right?
1: Yes, I think you are, and I think the other thing is that it's highly regulated and it's highly controlled. Our media environment right. is not as free and open as we think it is because right. it's corporate owned, right? And you know that here very well, sure. So I think the result of that is that what we have are uh, commercial stations where where programming and content is produced in one place and it's sent out to the stations and there's very little it very right. you know it doesn't really reflect what's happening in that yeah. place at all
0: little variation too right? very
1: little variation mm-hmm. we hear less and less of the music that's actually being produced there's a huge mm-hmm. amount of music mm-hmm. being produced in this country and very little of it is actually played on the radio mm-hmm. we also see it sadly i mean the, we there's a tremendous amount of very rich Audio content produced in podcasts, mm-hmm. but the downside is that it's very niche oriented, right. and we see an increasing way in which everything is turning into smaller and smaller right. units. You can find anything on little specific things that you want, <laughs> right. but there's less of a sense of linking between those right, niches. and
0: less community in that sense too. Small, very exactly. small communities, if any, uh, yeah, less less shared experiences that way. It's been it's been a, a um, the technology itself is is uh, prompts these kinds of things, right? The fact that you can do these things yourself, uh, but you're already within a particular cultural context that that doesn't encourage these networks uh, of sharing. You know, and it, we talk about networks all the time. We talk about sharing, but the cultural context is one in which you. Uh, You know, find yourself in your own little space. You watch the TV you watch. You you get your Netflix channel fed to you. You get your, your own news on your stream and your Facebook news. All these things seem networked, but they're still, they're very siloed
1: right and based on algorithms and they feed you right. what they think you want usually they you know they do a pretty yeah. good job and there's very little right. sort of shared we all used to watch the same television shows there uh, was a kind sure. of common sure. conversation and i think there's less and less of that
0: yeah well when there is it's it's very again very i think uh, uh, somewhat privileged watching right uh, an elite sort of television now we watch right we people talk about particular shows that you know you get uh, by by being able to subscribe to these services precisely right? yeah um, so uh, we're about out of time and uh, i want to thank marissa mormon for joining us today on our fun drive special uh, marissa thank you marissa is the uh, is an associate professor in the history department and media school at Indiana University. Thanks again, Marissa. Thank you, Doug. Uh, and thanks to everyone out there for listening. This, again, was our fun drive show, and you still have time to call. We've got about a minute and 40 seconds, uh, 812-323-1200, to call during interchange, 812 323 1200 to support Interchange uh, or you can go online WFHB.org and um, pledge there as well it's safe and secure Uh, so we'll go out I think our song to go out with is what's so funny about peace love and understanding I am Doug Storm I produce Interchange Bryce Martin is our studio engineer Rob Schoon is our assistant producer Jen Brooks thank you for lending your participatory voice to the show tonight next week we're going to talk to Marcus Reddick about the fearless Benjamin Lay, an 18th century radical Quaker abolitionist who wrote a book published by Benjamin Franklin, All Slave Keepers Apostates. Uh, That will be great. So um, that's it for tonight. Again, this is Elvis Costello. What's so funny about peace, love, and understanding? Thanks.
6: As I